our Father, we're uh, again encouraged, encouraged by uh, each one that you've joined together here today in this group uh, on this uh, uh, occasion here, this beautiful day in many places at least, and uh, certainly here. We thank you, Father, for uh, gathering us uh, week by week, sometimes uh, even more than that, um, either directly face-to-face or through the wonders of technology, uh, as now this morning. I'm sorry, Father, that uh, some could not get in this morning who wanted to, and uh, just uh, pray that that might be remedied in the future, and that each one would be blessed uh, by your word today, Father, as we open it together. Yes, uh, if we would study the word uh, as Paul exhorted uh rightly dividing the word of truth, then we would have truth and not error and uh, be taught greatly and blessed greatly by you and through the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we would look forward to that today. Father, there are many challenges in our nation. Uh, some of them have uh, have become even more evident. Uh, they're so clearly seen now, uh, whereas many times uh, and for long times they've been more hidden. Uh, But Father, now uh, very visible in the open, uh, very easy to see. The conflicts uh, are truly satanic in magnitude. And Father, uh, our nation has taken a stand in the past, even hundreds of years ago at its founding, even before that, uh, for truth and true liberty and justice and for uh, the truths of scripture as well. So, Father, I pray that you would recover our nation if that's your will and purpose still. Uh, Though we see uh, the grip of truth uh, in the hearts of many slipping slipping away uh, so rapidly, it seems. So, Father, I just pray that you would uh, turn that about by by giving your people boldness, by drawing more into the faith who will be bold for you and uh, will share that which is most needed. Without the truth, there is no place to stand. And that truth, of course, centers in our Lord Jesus and what he has accomplished through his shed blood. And then the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus. What a change that made. Uh, for all of those that would trust in him. So, Father, please watch over us, watch over our president, those that stand with him, and and uh, may they all be encouraged uh, because they know that you're still working, even though the enemy is uh, so uh, open, so arrogant, so violent, and so deceptive with his lies. And those lies are promoted near and far. So, Father, uh, may they be encouraged and may they see victory and success and your protective hand. Father, we are so overwhelmed when we open your word. And and I pray, Father, that as we open it now, we will uh, receive that which you have intended for us and that we be truly thankful and blessed. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, well, we continue the subject, which I intended, as you know, to finish last time, 
on uh, this third phase of the millennial kingdom focus here, which was on Israel's land promises. And I continued it today because really in, an, in some ways the most critical and the most blessed part of that uh, part of God's word where we find all of this revealed so clearly we didn't have time for. And <laughs> today <clears throat> there's so much. I, I, I've been gr- so greatly blessed by this and encouraged again by these scriptures. There's not even time today to finish it. But we will, Lord willing, and then next week finish up this <clears throat> this whole uh, study on the long war against God by looking at the new heavens and the new earth. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> um, so let me just give a quick overview of uh, last week's lesson. So we've already considered here many references to the land, the promised land, that was promised to Abraham and then to his seed. Uh, And we saw how that promise was given. I'll read that critical verse, that key verse, uh, again in a moment. But we saw how that promise was given to Abraham, and then it was amplified over and over again with added details. Uh, referencing the the king, the coming perfect king and his kingdom uh, in that land of promise, of course, on this earth, and total victory by the king (laughs) who rule rule all and over all of his enemies, and how great spiritual blessings would also come. But those were not the major emphasis there. The major emphasis was on uh, earthly blessings, Uh, to be given to Abraham and to his seed. And all of them were based upon this grant of land, this eternal covenant regarding the land, that portion God marked out and uh, began to reveal to Abraham so long ago. And yet today that uh, promise has still not been fulfilled, of course, right? There were many spiritual blessings implied through the king, who is, in fact, himself the seed of the woman. The entire redemptive plan of God for sinners is based on that seed of the woman, of course. Uh, But that was not the major focus there in the Old Testament, though there were references from time to time to that. Isaiah 53 standing out more than anything else. Also, of course, we've looked at the the um, ceremonial law and how the sacrificial system always pointed forward to a perfect kind of sacrifice, and that was only possible through uh, Israel's Messiah actually coming to this earth and then dying for the sins of the world, right? And uh, we considered that already. But we want to finish up this focus today on the land, the land promises. Uh, there are so many that teach scripture, whether pastors or teachers or uh, TV personalities, uh, who teach s- scripture in a way contrary to literal interpretation. In fact, uh, it's increasingly the case. There are fewer and fewer, it seems, 
there are some certainly promoting um, these promises as literally intended by God. In other words, Israel will eventually be reestablished as a nation in the full sense, not as it is today with a government that barely can hang together, if at all, right, and under attack from their enemies, but rather a nation that's supreme, uh, a large nation, a large land mass, a new city, a temple, and uh, the king sitting on a throne there ruling over the entire world, right? That's never come to pass. Many don't take the promises of God literally in that regard at all and think it's all to be interpreted in some fanciful way. They would call it literal, interpret not literal, sorry, I misspoke. They would call it spiritual interpretation <laughs> rather than in any way literal or and certainly not physical. Um, whatever that means, okay? Uh, <clears throat> I think we do know about spiritual truth. We know we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. We do know what that means, uh, even though we haven't received everything promised yet won't until the rapture right but uh but what was promised to israel was very much uh, promised with a physical component and that was extremely significant and that's what we're going to finish up with today to see how significant that was uh, the land promises were begun to be given there were many given in scripture but they be, were begun in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7. And uh, in Genesis 12, 7, I read this. It's, it's, it's an amazing statement, really. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. So uh, God promises to Abraham something very, very specific. Abraham didn't know the extent of it yet, because after this, God says, walk around here. You know, this whole whole uh, piece of property is involved here. It will be given to you at some point in the future, right? Walk around it. In fact, his whole life was spent traversing it from corner to corner, right? Um, so the Lord God made a promise to Abraham that was very specific, and it involved something that he could see at least part of. Was that something on this earth or in heaven? Well, it's very clear it was something on this earth, right? Uh, he knew it. If if, if really the Lord God had a different thing in mind, something entirely spiritual, something <laughs> in the heavens, right, uh, then Abraham was deceived. Okay, I don't think there's any question of that. Okay, now we saw how this promise given in Genesis 12:7 was then amplified over and over and over, not only to Abraham, but also to Isaac, also to Jacob, and to the 12 tribes, and so forth. 
if you take the notes from libertymessenger.com, you can see all the relevant scriptures there. We already looked at them last time, but certainly in Genesis 15, uh, the large dimensions of the land grant are defined there, the very large dimensions. And between the river of Egypt and the Euphrates, how large is that? <laughs> how much of current uh, nations uh, is included? I mean, a number, right? Certainly. Not a piece of sliver, sliver of land along the Mediterranean. That's not what God was talking about. Okay, Genesis 17 uh, talks about multiplying Abraham's seed, right? His offspring. Uh, even to the extent that there would be many nations ultimately descended from him. And it's also implied that there will be a spiritual comment to that, content to that uh, as well. Uh, not only physical descendants, but spiritual <laughs> descendants, right, with all that that means. And, of course, as uh, believers today with the whole Bible open before us, we know so much about what that came to mean ultimately. Uh, in Genesis 21, that aspect is amplified, and uh, it, Isaac is singled out, and his uh, seed, rather than the seed of uh, the descendants of his brother, right, um, would would be uh, the beneficiaries, ultimately, of the promise. Uh, God makes a separate promise for uh, Ishmael and his descendants, separate from this one entirely. Okay? So through Isaac would be the children of the promise. That certainly involves personal faith. Okay? <clears throat> and then in Genesis 21... We see that even all the nations of the whole world would in some way be ultimately blessed through Abraham and through his seed. Of course, his seed is uh, really the seed of the woman uh, ultimately, right, who would bring that kind of blessing. Those are scriptures that are millennial, millennial in uh, prospect. Okay, so... We see there's a promise uh, that has many dimensions. It's developed over time and limited from time to time uh, in certain ways, too, right? In Genesis 28, the promise to Abraham uh, is limited down to Jacob, because remember, there was an issue between Jacob and his brother Esau. God gave a separate promise to Esau, separate from what was now going to be Jacob's. Jacob would inherit the blessings of Abraham, but uh, Esau, a separate blessing. Okay, so um, that's the way it went. So when you look at the whole revelation there, there are many things promised uh, under this so-called Abrahamic covenant. And uh, we've looked enough at what's included in that. Today I want to focus on this uh, from a slightly different angle, and that's from the side of what was Abraham's faith in regard to the land? What was the content of it? 
Um, we have to talk about faith in the proper biblical perspective. Otherwise, we are totally less misled and easily led astray. Faith is not a feeling. It really doesn't have anything to do with a feeling. Uh, you may have a lot of feelings that have nothing to do with true faith. You may have a lot of faith that has nothing to do with true faith. <laughs> I mean, we, we run our lives every day uh, believing various things, right, that have nothing to do with uh, the promises of God, right? But uh, when Scripture speaks of faith, like it does in reference to Abraham, in fact, he set forth as an example, right, for all of us, it means something. There's content to that. And so we always have to ask the, the question, what is the content of the faith that's revealed there? And for Abraham, the content of that faith is found in those various promises that he believed. He took God at his word. And if there's anything uh, that I would like you to, to come away with from our meeting today, it's this basic idea that faith, we never think and should never think of this uh, concept apart from the, the notion of the, the actual, um, <laughs> is that word, that key word? The key word is content. What is the content of that faith? In other words, what was it that God said that was taken to heart, right, that was received? We must always go back to what did God say? The whole Bible is exactly this. It's what God has said, right? <laughs> what man has said is not of great importance compared to what God has said. In fact, what man has said is only of importance in reference to that. Does it conform or not to what God has said? So the issue is, what is the content of faith? And in this particular case, the content of Abraham's faith. Now, let's proceed, <laughs> because uh, what we have set before us today uh, won't fit in 20 minutes unless we do. Oh, my. Um, what you're going to now see is that the scripture is Full to overflowing with little little things that you may never have noticed before. It took me many years to notice these uh, as I'll present them today. It didn't happen all at once. Even in seminary, uh, we didn't uh, receive teaching on all of this. It just wasn't time, I guess. But um, it's all found there in the word of the living God in the Bible, right? So I want us to look at two different things here. First of all, that the land promises were repeated in the New Testament context. <laughs> so whatever many say about how, how somehow Christ uh, already fulfilled everything, right, as it were, and we're just waiting now for the second coming when we'll all be judged and then we'll be in heaven forever or in hell, right? Uh, that's a gross oversimplification, right? <clears throat> um, Christ didn't already fulfill all of the promises. In fact, he has not fulfilled the land promises. I think you saw that well last time we were together. But now let's consider how 
those same land promises were repeated or implied in a New Testament context, okay? And uh, that uh, proves conclusively uh, that they're to be taken literally, okay? Uh, first, we'll look at the letter to the Hebrews, and uh, then we'll look at what John the Apostle wrote in the book of Revelation. Then after that, we will look again and in a way that I think you'll find very compelling at Abraham's faith and its content, right? Uh, and how that was then reflected in Israel's history. Okay, so, and there we'll see again the proof, the absolute proof that these land promises must be taken literally because they have not been fulfilled. I want to scream this from the mountaintops. They have not been fulfilled. So many want to look at Israel today as a nation in, in the year 2019 on the edge of the Mediterranean to prove that Israel's land promises have been fulfilled. They're wrong. They have not been. Israel could actually be cast off into the sea and God could still be true uh, and not a liar, okay? <clears throat> really. So don't believe everything you're hearing or seeing on TV, as preachers preach often. Many of them are supporting Israel. Most, I think, today do not, but many still do. But they want those promises to be fulfilled and to be fulfilled today one little piece at a time, when yet uh, they're not being literally fulfilled. That's yet future, okay? And, in fact, will mostly occur after we are caught up into heaven's glory, okay? Okay, first of all, then, the land promises were repeated in the New Testament context. Uh, there's a scripture or two or three in uh, the letter of the Hebrews that make this so clear. Uh, Patty, would you start out by reading in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10? Oh, I have uh, verse 22. You want me to start at 10 and read through 22? No. Um, <clears throat> I guess I've got, I missed a, <clears throat> do 22. Do 10 and 22. Uh, okay. How about that? Okay. okay. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> verse 10. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, and maker is God. And verse 22. By faith. Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Thank you, honey. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Uh, I apologize for confusing that a little bit there. but um, So there's several things mentioned here. Now, remember, this is written many years after the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? And what the author to the letter of the Hebrews uh, writes is much about Abraham, especially in chapter 11, where Abraham takes the center stage, right? It is Abraham and his faith that are exalted there more than anything else in chapter 11 of Hebrews, and how that influenced uh, so many afterwards, right? 
Now, notice in chapter 11, verse 10, uh, there's a reference to a city, right? <laughs> a city. Does, does everyone in the sounding of my voice know what a city is? <laughs> okay, you know what a city is, right? Except this city's different. He says, this city, city has foundations, implying it's going to last. It's not going to be like Baltimore or Los Angeles or San Francisco or Seattle or Portland, right? Or countless other cities. How about Detroit? Have you seen pictures of Detroit's downtown lately? Compare it to pictures of Singapore or Hong Kong or Abu Dhabi or, you know, whatever you want to pick just about, right? <clears throat> you won't see any comparison there because our cities are crumbling into dust. Okay. Um, but this city that uh, is mentioned here is a city that has has true foundations, right? And why? Because he says, whose builder and maker is God, right? That's why. And then verse 22, <clears throat> what does that say? It says something that opens up uh, a whole realm of study for us here today. And I hope you will go back through the notes to look at all the references. We don't have time to look at them all today, but there are many that, that uh, bring a content to verse 22 there of Hebrews chapter 11. Why did he make that statement at his death point, right? Why? Uh, <laughs> why are his bones and their burial of any relevance at all if there's no literal future fulfillment? of the land promises. But of course, there is that, and that was his expectation. That was the content of his faith, okay? And uh, so uh, we move ahead here. <laughs> um, wow, a city. That city, of course, is the city of God. <laughs> there are many books written about the city of God. That don't take scripture literally. Augustine's uh, great greatest book of all that he wrote called The City of God, right? Um, you probably haven't read it. <laughs> Most haven't, right? Written uh, a long, long time ago, right? Um, this city is also called in scripture the New Jerusalem, right? And uh, what, what we see there uh, is... Uh, a short reference there in, in the letter to the Hebrews, but then much more detail added later in Scripture. And, and let's just look at that for a moment. Uh, in what John the Apostle wrote in uh, the book of Revelation. And I'm going to ask Linda to read from chapter 21, but first I want to read from chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. Now remember, this is written many years, even decades and decades after the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's pointing to something future, a great, a significant event uh, expected in the future at the time God has appointed. So Revelation 3.12, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, 
which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. So here's the city. It's coming down out of heaven to where? Well, of course, to earth, right? <laughs> of course, it's coming to the earth. It's coming from heaven, right? Down out of heaven. Uh, it's not anything. Uh, this is not about the believers being caught up into heaven. This is about heaven coming down to them. What's in heaven is this new Jerusalem. It has been built by God himself, okay? <laughs> without human hands, and it's going to come down from heaven to earth. Okay. Now, let's look more at that. Uh, in chapter 21, Linda, would you please read verses 9 and 10? And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit, to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. <laughs> okay, there you go. Okay, again, <clears throat> I mean, why is this now going to be repeated three times at least here? The holy Jerusalem, the great city that had been promised coming down out of heaven to earth. Why? Because it must come to earth to fulfill the promises that have been given to Abraham and his seed, okay? That is the content of their faith. God must fulfill those promises, or God is a liar. He has to fulfill the promises that have been given. Uh, so um, we already learned in past studies that Ezekiel gives much information regarding the New Jerusalem, details even as to the size of it, right? The promised land itself uh, will be established, right? And the size of that is very great indeed, as we saw from Genesis 15. But these have not yet occurred. God hasn't fulfilled these promises. But let's go on and look into the word in more detail to see how central the fulfillment of those promises literally was to those who were of faith, we should say of Israel's faith, because uh, Israel was the name given to Jacob, and we'll see here again and be reminded of how that all happened, okay? So let's look to begin with at a what I consider a key verse, okay? Um, there are many verses I call key verses in my teaching. Uh, they're key because they provide a starting point to launch you into Bible study that's going to open your mind so far that you cannot believe how wonderful God's word is, right? Genesis 22, 2 is one of those verses. Um, and I'll read it for you. He said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Well, you might think after hearing that read, no, oh, there's nothing significant there except for God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, right? Whoa, that's certainly significant. That's what stands out, right? Not this 
name of a land and a mountain. Okay, Moriah. Uh, surely that is never mentioned again in Scripture and can't be important, right? Well, to the contrary. Uh, to the contrary. Ted, I would like you to read the corresponding uh, verse that uh, enlightens us about so much. Uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, Ted. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Thank you, Ted. Okay, now, uh, previously we've looked at this. Uh, uh, I remember we didn't skip over this when we're going through that uh, section of the Old Testament earlier, about about uh, two years ago, uh, probably. Um, and we saw how the Lord God had appeared to David at a critical point in his life and made promises at a certain place. It happened to be in the old city of Jerusalem in a place. In fact, it was a very uh, nondescript, uh, certainly not a very distinguished location. <laughs> it was the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. <laughs> okay, the city of Jerusalem had built, been built up, as it turns out, on the hills and mountains of Moriah. Doesn't that open your eyes a bit? Okay. <laughs> so is uh, this place important to God, do you think? How important to God is this? Whoa, how can there be, uh, there can't be many places on the entire earth as important to God as this, right? Moriah is an area, and it has a number of mountains, and one of them is sometimes called in Scripture Mount Mount Moriah as here, right? Second Chronicles 3, 1. And this is where the house of the Lord is to be built. The temple, right? And it was. Solomon built the temple there because that was where God wanted it built, right? And why? Because it has future significance. Much future significance. In fact, <laughs> there will be a new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, and where is it going to come down to? Uh, I think you can just about figure that out now <laughs> from what we've already looked at. But you also should look and should study this. Please do that separately. But uh, in Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 18, and First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 18, and First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 1, in all of those scriptures, there's reference to this. It's not just once. This is a major theme in the Bible. Specific, marked out land locations that the Lord God considers extremely important and includes this all in the promises ultimately given to his people. Okay. The land, therefore, was very important to God, and it should also have been very important to God's people. But, of course, it wasn't so important, uh, and they turned away. What was the content, then, of the faith of those who knew these promises? It was what God had said, right? Remember, faith always has content. That is what God has actually spoken, 
Okay. So the land and the specific locations on this earth uh, are critically important to God as he ultimately fulfills his promises to Abraham and to his seed. Only a literal interpretation of Scripture supports that, and therefore only literal interpretation of Scripture uh, is uh, what God expects of us as we come to the Word, opening it and rightly dividing it. But now I want to get to the crux of this, and how can we do this in two minutes? Oh, I'm so sad. Uh, well, you're going to have to do some study on your own. That's what it comes down to. The notes will be on the website uh, a little later today to help you. Okay, um, let's start though. I want us to. I want Tom to read this. Tom, you have in in a certain way one of the truly great uh, statements in Scripture because remember this is now this is in Stephen's great proclamation just before he's stoned, right? At the hands of, uh, of uh, Saul, right? <clears throat> okay. So Acts chapter 7, verses 15 and 16 starts to tie some of this all together. Tom? Okay, Jim, but I'm a little confused. I'll read those verses. Uh, okay. I'm going to put that together with Stephen. So Jacob went down to Egypt and died, he and our fathers, and were carried over into Sechem and laid in a sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money, the sons of Timor, the father of Sechem. Okay. Over to you, Jim. Thank you. Uh, yeah, well, <clears throat> this is in Stephen's great speech, you see. That's the only connection there. I didn't mean more than that. But but the important thing here is that it says of Jacob that he died, right? And it says, and that's, this was in Egypt, right? And it says also, and our fathers, right? Then it says, and were carried over into Shechem, that's a long ways from Egypt, okay? And laid in the sepulcher that Abraham had bought many years before, right? Uh, from the sons of Emor, okay? Um, that's a specific place in the promised land, all right? And so there's a burial place there. Uh, now, as it turns out, you read in Genesis chapter 23 and Genesis 25 and Genesis 49 and 50 that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were not buried in that place. They were buried actually in a different tomb. It's called the Cave of Machpelah. Okay? So there are two different locations, two different burial locations in the promised land. Some were for those patriarchs. Others were buried in the other place. But but the key thing here, it says they were carried over. What does that mean? It's talking about their bones. Their bones. Okay, let's go on and look at that a little bit more. Okay, and uh, I wish we had time to look at this whole thing. I really do. But because uh, you, you need to go to Genesis 48 
to see the background of some of this, too. But I want us just to go to Lisa's uh, reading section there in Genesis 50, because I think that's going to say enough for you to get the whole picture well in mind. Lisa, please read Genesis 50, verses 24 and 25. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. <clears throat> well, you might wonder, how could that ever be fulfilled? How did all those bones get to those burial places in the promised land? Well, you know what? They did because it says in Exodus 13, verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn to the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Okay, that is hundreds of years later after uh, Joseph died. You know, Joseph died and he was embalmed and buried in Egypt, right? Moses took his bones at the Exodus and kept them. And ultimately, they were carried by Joshua and the others into the land of promise, right? Joshua chapter 30, 24, verse 32 says, And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem, in the parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. And it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. Okay, now, to tie it all up, go back to Hebrews. Back to Hebrews, where Patty read, chapter 11, verse 22, written many years after the resurrection of Christ. This is what it says, by reference back to what we just saw. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Okay? What was the content of the faith of the patriarchs? It was that God would literally fulfill these promises. Why was it important to them where their bones were taken? It's not important to us at all, is it? Why not? We don't have an earthly hope. They did, right? And it made all the difference to them. Now, why did it make such a difference? Only for one reason. It wasn't a carnal human reason. It was that that's what God had promised to them. That was their hope. This is the physical side of it. Yes, there's much spiritually implied, but not stated, right? That they will receive someday as well, right? 
But the physical side of it, the land promises are absolutely critical. They must be fulfilled, literally. If you're not convinced of that now, you may never be, <laughs> because we've just considered uh, what the Word of God has said in some detail. Uh, let me ask you this question. It's not really to you personally. It's just rhetorical. But has God misled the patriarchs, giving them a false earthly hope? No. The land of promise was and still is very important to the Lord God. And he will fulfill those promises. Oh, liberals today and those that reject scripture have a different interpretation altogether. I hear it said, and this is even being accepted in the churches. I'm, it's so sorry to say that somehow back then mankind was too primitive to understand spiritual things. So God just gave them physical promises, but they weren't supposed to really take them that way. They were supposed to understand them spiritually, but they couldn't because of their uh limited minds not true not true at all right as if somehow mankind has evolved today to have a greater spiritual capability ah oh, just the opposite if anything <laughs> less and less as as the enemy has worked down through the centuries right okay so so be it god will fulfill israel's land promises Someday. Uh, of course, what we have today through the cross is so glorious, so wonderful. His grace is abundant. Next time, Lord willing, the new heavens and the new earth, and that will finish up the Bible, as it were, in our long uh, uh, <laughs> trek through that uh, section by section. Okay, any questions before we go to the Lord in prayer or any comments? Uh, Jim. Uh, Sorry. Go ahead, Lisa. Okay. Um, I was just going to say that um, it's just a comment, but I can really see after that excellent teaching, Jim, that um, how men or pastors or teachers or whoever uh, have spiritualized or twisted or rested the word of God and caused much, much confusion. Mm -hmm. I've um, I've never heard it explained the way that you explained it today, and that has shed a lot of light uh, for me. Of course, I don't understand it all. I have to go back and study, and I appreciate uh, the verses that that you're going to post online. But I've never heard it taught like that, and I can really see how um, men have confused this issue. And um, you've brought a lot of clarity here, so thank you. Uh, I'm. Very happy for that, Lisa. Yes, you will be blessed over and over as you study all those scriptures, I promise you. Okay, uh, Lewis. Uh, hi, Jen. Uh, thank you for the, uh, the teaching. And uh, I have a quick question. The, you mentioned that the uh, New Jerusalem, which will be coming down from heaven, and it will take place after the thousand years millennial, uh, millennial kingdom, right? Uh, so if that was a true promise, uh, then how does the millennial kingdom, that thousand years, fit into the picture? Was the land, the promise uh, of the land to Israel being fulfilled during that millennial kingdom, or is not yet? Uh, well, I, 
I believe that your your problem, your question, is based upon uh, an incorrect assumption that the New Jerusalem comes down to earth at the end of the millennial kingdom. I think it comes down at the beginning. So I think that changes everything. <clears throat> uh, okay, but it's 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 in Revelation twenty first, right? Mm, right. That's after the uh, uh, battle of Mega, that was mm-hmm. after the thousand years millennial kingdom, isn't it? No, I, is it Revelation okay. isn't strictly uh, uh, chrono- chronological. Okay. If it were, we'd have all kinds of issues here and there. So, okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, any other questions before we go on or comments? Go, oh, Patty. Well, I I just um, I find that these truths of God and the amazing consistency of the scriptures confirming, of course, a plan that God had planned before the. He formed the, the earth and placed man, human beings, upon it. Um, that God tells us and knew all along this entire plan. But we can see that he's the master planner when we read God's word and we take it literally. That there's an amazing consistency from beginning to end. And I find this very, um, oh, just grounding in the face of contemporary events and how troubling they are and how um, this this battle between good and evil is being played out in our in our midst. Um, it's very troubling. But I find great peace and confidence when I read these things in God's word and understand he is sovereign. He is in control. He's tolerating this long war because he's still calling out the people for his name. And what a privilege that um, we who are gathered here and countless numbers of individuals have been called out by God through all of this time during which he's withholding his wrath. And um, once he pours out his wrath, and his judgment upon the earth. He's already prepared. Amen. And that what comes down out of heaven is a new Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. and that it will come down apparently to the same place where Mm -hmm. the earthly temple Mm -hmm. in Jerusalem were located, the place of sacrifice. Yeah, that's right. The place of sacrifice first of Isaac, Mm -hmm. and subsequently of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But all during that interim period, it was the place of sacrifice under the law. Just, it's, it's so settling to me, because you can't read even one headline of the news without being assaulted by this <laughs> right. war between good and evil. Yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I want to add that uh, all of this, of course, should be so encouraging to our faith. Right? I mean, when we see the scripture is uh, perfectly written, and uh, all the details are there, if only we search them out, right? But if you don't search them out, you don't look at the cross-references. Everyone needs a study Bible that gives good cross-references. That's a considerable help. That's not the end of the line, because those those lists of references are made by man, right? 
And you have to look at each verse and consider it and so forth. But it certainly is a help to have that available. And uh, praise the Lord for the word, right? Well, one more thing, uh, Jim. So inherent yeah. in in the Abrahamic covenant is uh, the idea of everlasting life because these patriarchs who are insisting that their bones being take, are taken back to the promised land they are looking forward to a time when they will live again, mm-hmm. um, that the death is not the end of it, even for those who are God's chosen people, mm-hmm. um, knowing that our promises aren't exactly the same as theirs because um, our heavenly, our our continual uh, going forth will be in the heavens. Yes. Um, but, but theirs was to be here on earth, and they knew that. Um, therefore, they wrote it um, to you know their their children and and also to us so we could learn from it um, yep. but that specifically inherent in the abrahamic covenant is everlasting life here on earth absolutely and and in fact uh, our lord referred to that in, in one place at least where he says uh, <clears throat> you know <laughs> uh makes an argument about everlasting life in reference to abraham and his hope so uh, yes, very, very true. Good comments. All these are very good comments and questions. And, uh, well, Lord, blessing to all of you. Uh, enjoy the Lord, and we look forward to uh, being back together soon. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for gathering us today. What a blessing it is to open your word and to consider it in detail. And though we didn't have time, and we'll never have time to look at all the scriptures uh, till eternity, when we'll be spending a lot, much time, I'm sure, in Bible study. But uh, what a blessing it is to remember these, at least, and, and to uh, dwell in them and to consider the faith of Abraham and what it meant, uh, not only for him, but for his children and all those down through those many centuries that uh, had the same faith. So, Father, we're so thankful for that. And thank you that we have faith as well. Abraham was the father of faith, right? Actually taking you at your word and believing uh, independently of his works, of course, <laughs> for his works were of little count, considering the righteousness uh, that is yours, Father, uniquely. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for gathering us today and blessing us greatly. And we thank you in Christ's name. And, uh, and amen.